I'm Lillian Bosquez with Lifestyles on KVCR. Thanks for listening and Happy New Year. Today I'll have a conversation with Gabriel Maldonado, CEO of True Evolution, a nonprofit organization that serves the LGBTQ population with a focus on housing, behavioral health, and health services. Gabriel shares some of the many projects and programs that True Evolution offers and discusses Project Legacy, a 49-bed campus that will provide health care, job training, and housing. Also on the show, we'll hear from KVCR's Sharina Watt about soup. It's that time of year when a hot bowl of soup can provide warmth and comfort, even in our mild winter climate. Shireen will talk about the history and the varieties of soup. You may want to make a bowl by the end of the show. But up first, it's my conversation with Gabriel Maldonado, CEO of True Evolution. Welcome and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. So first, tell me what True Evolution is and its mission. Well, True Evolution is a nonprofit organization based in Riverside, California, and our mission is to fight for health equity and racial justice to advance the quality of life and human dignity of LGBTQ people. Okay, well, let's talk about how you go about doing that. Sure. That's your mission. What are some of the things that you do to make your mission come true? So we were founded in 2007, so we're celebrating 15 years. Exciting about that. And in the last 15 years, we've morphed, and really our name speaks to our evolution, um, having gone from an advocacy organization and then In 2011, we started on a yellow brick road of direct services, first beginning with um, infectious and communicable diseases like HIV and STDs. Later, we now do work with COVID and monkeypox. But in between then, we evolved into mental health, and we have a mental health clinic that does support groups as well as one-to-one clinical therapy. And then we moved into housing, and that's really been our flagship for the last uh, five years, first in emergency supportive housing services, and now we do utility assistance, rental assistance, and most recently in the last two years have become developers. And so now part of our project that we're doing is to build transitional housing. All right. Well, let's, since you left off on that, I want to talk about all of them if we can, so we can get our listeners to really understand what's going on there and the services you're providing. Now, are your services, I know you said you're located in Riverside, are your services to anyone in that population, or does it only have to be in Riverside or just Riverside County? Who's eligible to be a part of your services? Yeah, so, you know, geographically, we are located in the city of Riverside, um, which is the seat of Riverside County, but you are alluded correctly. Our services cross both Riverside and San Bernardino County. We've serviced some clients as far as Blight, Mm-hmm. And we've worked with clients as high as Barstow and Victorville. So it really goes across the region. We, we more so are population-focused. And I know our mission statement spoke to the LGBT community, which is our expertise. It is our, our bailiwick, and it is where we have the most competency in an organization. But in the last 15 years, our demographics really have expanded to be more broadly homeless youth, um, people living with HIV regardless if they're LGBT or not. Seniors, and particularly in our mental health clinic, both LGBT and non-LGBT, veterans, uh, transitional age youth. So it really is more so about whether the particular service you need, be it mental health, be it housing, be it a COVID vaccination testing, be it monkeypox shot or your routine STD test. Hmm. Um, Regardless of what you need, 
we do service a variety of populations, and um, and, and that that can be made available both through our our physical location in downtown Riverside, and then we also have a mobile unit, our street medicine program, which is that's how we hope to take most of these services both virtually and physically through our mobile unit in different parts of both Riverside and San Bernardino counties. So really taking your services on the road, for sure. That's the goal. Yeah. That's the goal. Not only be virtual, but be mobile, be agile, both infusing technology to be virtual and creating telehealth environments, but doing that in a way where you can reach people that geographically or have data divides that keep them from being able to access physical locations or telehealth services. Okay. Let's talk about, you mentioned it, but I want to talk about the Project Legacy. Tell me what Project Legacy is specifically, if you would. Sure. So Project Legacy is the culmination of our participation in the state of California's Project Room Key through Riverside County, uh, where we identified several individuals, uh, our total count was 87 in the end, within our special population that had been missed in the Riverside County point-in-time homeless count back in 2020 at the onset of COVID-19. That then resulted in the governor's initiative called Project Home Key, which allowed organizations, municipalities to collaborate and apply for dollars to be able to do acquisition and rehabilitation to either create transitional housing units or permanent supportive housing units. And we were awarded and are building a transitional housing project. But I think what's even more exciting is that our approach to housing is an infusion of community development, meaning that we believe that that there needs to be an entire wraparound of community development and commercial services that also need to be a part when you're doing housing. And so we're building what's called a community campus, which co-locates multiple services, uh, both housing, medical social services, workforce development, wellness services in a community-based model where the entire neighborhood and community at large will be able to access all of the supportive services in this one-acre property. Wow, that's really a huge endeavor and really wonderful for our community. But let me ask you about that. The community campus, are they living there long-term or are they short-term and then going on to something else? Or how does that particular campus work? So we will have 49 beds of transitional housing. The program is designed to move people out in no no more than two years. Okay. Um, And we do estimate that about 50% of the beds, individuals will not need more than six months, um, with another 25% not needing more than a year. And then we think that there will be a, a specific cohort that will probably need anywhere from 18 months to two years. And this is an opportunity for individuals and populations that experience chronic homelessness, They're in and out of of states of of housing security. They're going through a whole series of other kinds of health conditions or physical disabilities or mental health disabilities, or they may be seniors, right, and just may not have access to all of the abilities that we all do to care for themselves. So folks that are coming to us with a myriad of conditions will be able to come here and rehabilitate, reorganize, redesign, reheal from anything that, that may be keeping them from returning keeping them returning back into homelessness. And um, that's our vision. But beyond that, we hope that the entire campus will be a benefit to the neighborhood and community as a whole. Um, And the vision is to eventually build a medical center over the next two years that will complement our existing services by adding primary care services to the region. So that's sort of our long-term trajectory for the campus is to add medical full primary care medical that will be available to the community. So that's on the horizon. Wow, you dream big, Gabriel. How wonderful. 
Let me reintroduce our guest is Gabriel Maldonado. He's the CEO with True Evolution. Now, just talking about this campus, let's say they transition out, whether it's 18 months or two years or however long it takes. Now, do you also then provide other services so they can transition out and get into something else or do your services end there? It's a whole effect, you know, it's a whole wraparound. You know, what determines whether a client is ready to transition out is not based on time frame, which is why we allow for up to two years. It's really based on goals achieved. So um, I'll start with those who are unemployed and then start with with those who who find employment because there's a path for both. So those who are unemployed, we do an initial career assessment, a workforce assessment, um, a current financial status, whether they're from another country, whether they're from a different state, whether they have no foundation here whatsoever, whether they've completed high school, whether they have a college education. What tools are you working with? Do you even have a birth certificate or a social security card to be able to get a job? Do we need to go and help you go get a copy of your social security and your birth certificate? There could be a whole host of things that keep people from being able to be sustainable, both on the academic preparedness side, but also on the workforce and basic needs. So you will be able to handle and and get together all of those many items. That is our basic needs case managers. And then we have our housing case managers who really focus on the bare bones of housing placement. This is to see and screen for your eligibility for existing federal or state or county programs. Look for areas where you may already have employment but are looking for affordable housing. Mm. Uh, Being able to work with a consortium of landlords who are more flexible on down deposits or on credit checks. So all of those things the team works with. And so the goal is when you leave, you will either be prepared for one of two things. You'll be prepared for expensive rent like the rest of us in America, (laughs) or you'll be prepared to purchase a home, something that is within your means. Now, for those who have employment, this does not make you diseligible. Um, It really just, you just need to be homeless. And there's a whole host of people who are employed but are homeless simultaneously. So many Mm -hmm. stories, we know of that. And so for those who are employed or those who obtain employment, you will be required to pay what's called a rent savings, meaning you will pay rent of some assessed value, not of a burdensome percentage, but something that is fair and equitable um, that you will pay into a savings. And then upon the completion of all your goals and readiness to depart, then we will give you your savings back and you will be able to have some money to begin whatever next chapter of your life you're moving into. So it's really going to be as customized as possible. And I I have a really great team who's thought creatively about the ways to meet clients where they're at. Yeah, it's customized and well-rounded. So it sounds like. Let me ask a little bit, we touched on it briefly, your HIV health services. Tell me the process for and and what your services are providing there. So HIV is, you know, while it has become an incredibly managed issue, from the revolutions in the antiretroviral therapy to preventative medication for those that are negative called PrEP, pre-exposure prophylaxis. You know, HIV is such a manageable condition today. The challenge is, is that those that are experiencing chronic conditions are also dealing with other things like mental health or substance abuse or homelessness, like we were just talking about. And those kinds of uh, additional conditions or what we call social determinants often is what drives people's ability to stay into care, stay on their medication, and live a normal life like, you know, everybody else. Um, And so our services really focus on case management, testing for those that are unaware of their status, linkage into the necessary services to get in there, and then navigating the very complicated healthcare system that is California. So those are part of our services. The other one is emergency housing. We do have a hotel-motel voucher program. Um, for people that are living with HIV to offer immediate emergency transitional housing for about three to four weeks. 
Um, these are for people that are that just need bridge assistance. We've expanded this to include rental assistance, utility assistance, deposit assistance, and then for anyone that is in need of critical medical services, we have a network of very close partners, some of which are in walking distance from our office, who can provide medical services, usually in no more than uh, one week of time. And so we handle that coordination for those that may be foreign or uh, burdened by the complications of our healthcare system. Wow. You're listening to Lifestyles on KVCR. We need to take a quick break, but when we return, I'll continue my conversation with the CEO of True Evolution, Gabriel Maldonado. I'm Lillian Vasquez. We'll be right back. Stay with us. If you're just joining us, I'm speaking with Gabriel Maldonado, CEO of True Evolution. All right, let's talk about, I saw there something about crisis intervention and what that looks like from your office. So our mental health clinic run by Omar Gonzalez Valentino, um, I proudly love that it is a a fully bilingual uh, mental health clinic. And we currently do not offer psychiatric services. So these are non-psychiatric behavioral health services, but psychiatry would be on the horizon uh, in the future. And, um, and really, it's, it's from a trauma-focused approach. Individuals who get linked into either the support groups or who get linked into the actual therapy are coming because they're dealing with a very specific issue. It is usually an issue tied to one of our core competencies, so LGBT, sexual assault, youth who are homeless, seniors that are also LGBT, veterans who are LGBT. So there's a lot of intersections and overlapping groups and demographics. And so both our mental health clinic and the support groups, along with the social activities and, you know, all the different outings and and sort of things that we take for granted, just creating social connection, the clients that are often experiencing trauma usually find some of their greatest safety, uh, both in the mental health clinic, but also in the social spaces that is created amongst the group. Now, I want to ask you, you mentioned about how they may there may be one more than one thing uh, attached to them, and I'm wondering yeah. if I know many people on the autism spectrum, and they come under this category as well. Typically, it's very hard to get them services, and then add the autism on top of the LGBTQ classification. Would you offer individuals like that services, or not yeah. be- because? So I would really prefer to defer that question to my director of behavioral health because I think it would be nuanced and specific for each individual. If the individual who's coming to us has a a very strong command of their, you know, developmental um, concerns and developmental priorities, um, but say that they really are trying to explore more of the aspects of their sexuality and the intersections with that, then we may may be the more qualified or maybe a well-qualified provider. But say if there's an individual who's dealing with, you know, very severe or chronic developmental um, concerns around their mental health, we would also do referrals when there's areas of expertise that we just frankly are not. And I think when you start looking at the really, really young, right, the really young who are also dealing with sexual dysphoria, but then are also dealing with suicidal ideations, and then they're also dealing with the developmental challenges, that may require a unique specialty that my team would very humbly refer out to one of our more qualified colleagues. So I think each circumstance depends on what the severity of the case is. But yes, of course, I think if someone comes to us and it is one of our areas of focus, and particularly we do have um, a therapist who actually has been talking about wanting to get into more children and youth 
uh, as a population uh, focus, I, I certainly think we would be able to accommodate that. Okay, real good. Well, thank you for answering that. I kind of put you on the spot there. I just know that sometimes finding that particular person's services can be challenging when all these different things are layered on top of it. Absolutely. Yeah. So you talk about a team. How big is your team? How big is your staff? Oh, my God. How big are we now? We've grown significantly in the last two years. I mean, just two years ago, we were a staff of, I think, 20 or a little under 20, 18. And now we're over 32 with another four or five that we have to put into pipeline. So it's growing team, over 30, strong, and it's a really diverse group. I mean, it's just every flavor of the rainbow and every <laughs> kind of person. I mean, you would make an assumption that we are largely LGBT, and that's obviously recruiting from the population you serve is always a good strategy. But we, we have non-queer folks. We got some white folks. We got brown people. We got black people. We got trans people. We got cisgender. We got straight straight men with wives and straight women with husbands and uh, and children and queer families and people with with you know trans folks with husbands and wives. I mean, it's just a whole. Uh, amalgamy of people and it is a, a really beautiful scene and we just had our appreciation holiday party two days ago and I looked around the room and it, it just felt like a representation of our community and a representation of America so I am proud to see just all the different people at the team. Well how lovely I'm glad to see that it's a blended uh, group that is working with you to make this happen. Lastly, how do you sustain the organization, i.e. fundraisers or grants? How are you sustaining now the staff that size and to provide the services that you are providing? <laughs> Prayer and the grace of the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There's got to be another plan on there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's um, a good prayer. one, but that's what do you have prayer. on top of no. that? No, it is. First and foremost, prayer. All things are possible when you move in prayer, but um, really how that shows up is, is through a diversity of revenue streams. I would just say easily, I, I like to look at bringing in revenue in three different buckets. One of it is grants. You know, you write a grant, you build relationships, you get to know the funders, both corporate and foundation. So we do a mixture of, of grant writing and we have some amazing longstanding funders who have really been instrumental in our success. Um, but then you also have contracts. So that is, you know, taking on a direct service on behalf of the government or behalf of some entity that's going to pay you to deliver a service. So, you know, we, we usually pay for core staffing is covered by those that are providing a service. And so they are paid for through contracts. And then the third one, which I think really is where I'm most passionate and it's where um, I think it's a great horizon for nonprofits, and that's business development. You know, nonprofits, we've often just relegated ourselves to being, you know, charitable. And that is what we are formed to provide. But that doesn't have to be the approach to how we make money. It's not always shaking the tin can, as I like to call it. It really is engaged <laughs> in strategic business decisions and contracts and collaborating with universities and institutions to offer a critical service, for instance, that they may not be able to provide to their students, but maybe you can as an expert. That is a separate business agreement that you can go out and develop. Um, I think there's also other mechanisms that nonprofits can engage in, in business from technical assistance to capacity building. So our forefront is housing development. You know, that's sort of our, our contribution and sort of our business that we do because there are for-profit and nonprofit housing developers. So 
housing development is really going to be part of the work that, that we do both to get back an impact, but it's going to hopefully be a revenue stream that allows us to reinvest in the expansion of our services. Got it. Now, before I let you go, I want to ask you about Project Legacy. Is there anything sure. else you need for it? Are you still taking donations? Do you take, since you're building this, do you take, I don't know, donated, do- I don't know. Do you, is there anything? Yeah, that, yeah, all okay. of it, actually. <laughs> I'm sure, everything, yes. I mean, every form of it. I mean, I will say that, you know, as we continue to dream Project Legacy, you know, it gets more and more expensive. You know, you want to sure. add in workforce development. You the, They want to do a media lab for the kids. They want to do, you know, all these athletics programs, you know. And so, one, just a donation or a pledge. We currently have what's called a Legacy Giving Circle, mm-hmm. um, so which is contribute to Project Legacy. And that's because right now the facility is, you know, is not, we don't take any rent from folks. You know, we are paying for the facility through grant funding. And so all of the powering of the facility and the utilities and the overhead of managing these brand new houses um, is going to be on us. So obviously your cash is, is very appreciated <laughs> now. Yeah, but... However, there's other ways, too, that are, are, are oftentimes even more important and more immediate. And um, what is more important is uh, making sure that the clients who move into these houses have everything they need. So if maybe you can help follow up with us, but we're going to establish like an Amazon giving profile because there is a list of things that the clients do need, everything from linen to towels. Sure. Um, there's some basics in pots and pans, but where's the seasonings, right? Like, can we get some seasonings donated for the <laughs> kitchen, you know, because we hopefully to help them cook and prepare their own meals. So there's just little odds and ends from toothbrushes and toothpaste. And so um, we would, are going to set up an easy way for people to do this, you know, um, where people can just simply make a donation by purchasing a particular product on Amazon, and then nice. it'll deliver directly to Project Legacy, and we'll have it logged for, for that project. So oh, um, you could stay tuned for that, and I'll provide it to you. And, you know, any support your listeners can give, we'd certainly appreciate it. Well, I get that. Now, lastly, what about volunteers? Do you welcome volunteers? Where are you on that? So we haven't been as great, and, I, and, I, and I've been encouraging my team to do better about engaging volunteers. And I think sometimes you just your head's so far on the work, you just, just try to get it done yourself. Right, but yeah. certainly once Project Legacy opens next year, um, we do have a whole series of programs, from athletics programs to wellness programs to art days. We have a community garden, so we're going to be doing some growing fresh fruits and vegetables on the campus. And I think once that calendar of events comes online next year, again, stay tuned. I think those would be all of the many opportunities where we we would love for our community to come out and engage. When does it open and where is the campus? Our campus will open sometime next summer in 2023 um, at that time. Okay, very good. And are you okay to share the location or is that not? Is that okay? And where's the location? uh, so the campus is located on the corner of University Avenue and Brockton Avenue oh. in the city of Riverside in downtown. Yeah. So uh, there's another project that's happening over there. So ours is 3839 Brockton Avenue. Great. Gabriel, thank you so much for your information and sharing your passion. You can hear it in your voice. And I'm so glad you're there providing the service. You and your team. Well, I thank you for giving me an opportunity to share. I mean, it takes an entire village for us to do this work. And so part of what you're doing is is essential to what we need to do. So thank you. My pleasure. To learn more about True Evolution, visit our website at kvcrnews.org slash lifestyles and click on today's show. Now that we're well into our winter season, how does a hot bowl of soup sound? 
KVCR's Sharina Wad shares the history of soup and how it's enjoyed around the world. January is National Soup Month, and soup, well, it's the ultimate comfort food. Imagine it's raining and your car breaks down and you have to walk five miles to the nearest gas station and then you slip in a puddle and get mud on your favorite shoes. What are you craving? Probably soup. Soup is a meal as old as time. Its existence can be traced back to 20,000 BC. Early pottery from Zhan Rendong Cave, China, were concave vessels showing signs of scorch marks, suggesting they were used for cooking soup. What do you do in 20,000 BC without a microwave or a stovetop? One theory is that ancient soup makers dug a hole in the ground, lined it with animal skin, and used hot stones to boil water. Now what about the word soup? The word soup is French, but comes from the Latin supa, which means bread soaked in broth. And that comes from the Germanic word sop, as in sopping up a piece of bread in a soup or stew. But wait, there's more etymology involved here. In the 16th century, the French began using the word restaurant to refer to the soup that was sold by vendors in the streets. This soup was advertised as restoratif, meaning to restore. Soup was a typical dish consumed to help restore energy or heal fatigue. So the word restaurant is based on the existence of soup and its purpose. And that purpose has never changed. To heal, to restore, to provide comfort, and every culture has its own version of soup. The Japanese have miso soup, there's French onion, borscht from Eastern Europe, clam chowder from New England, gumbo from Louisiana, minestrone from Italy, the chilled Spanish gazpacho, and some soups you may not have heard of from around the world. Banga is a very popular soup in Nigeria made of palm fruit. Its rich red sauce is the main draw and it's infused with spices. I could mention a very popular soup in Egypt called molokhea. It's a soup of finely minced leaves mixed with a broth, topped with sautéed garlic and served over rice or with pita bread. I love Egyptian food, but I don't love molokhea. First of all, I can't pronounce it. Also, it has a texture you either love or don't love so much. But this soup was typically eaten by royalty in ancient Egypt, so you'll be in good company if you try it. That being said, I'll give it another try next week when I travel to Egypt. So there are many varieties of soup as we know. What's the first variety you think of? Chicken noodle soup, tomato soup, cheese soup? Getting back to the basics that we might be used to, chemist Dr. John T. Dorrance invented Campbell's condensed soup back in 1897. The volume of the soup is doubled by adding a can full of water or milk. And that discovery led to canned soup that's ready to eat and great to stock up on in case of an emergency. Soup is always coming in clutch and with endless possibilities and recipes to try out, why not get warm with a bowl of soup this month? Of course, this is just a condensed version on the history of soup. By the way, I'm sorry about that pun. I bet that was super cheesy. For Lifestyles, I'm Sharina Wad. Okay, so a bowl of soup does sound good, but you know what really sounds better? A bowl of chili. That's our show for this week. To hear any of our past shows, visit our website at kvcrnews.org slash lifestyles. You can also listen to Lifestyles on your favorite streaming service. Search for Lifestyles with Lillian Vasquez and take the show on the go. Lifestyles is on Facebook and Instagram. Search for us at 919lifestyles and find us at Lifestyles with Lillian on Instagram. 
If you have a segment idea, share it with us. We'd love to hear what you think would make a good segment on Lifestyles. Go to kvcrnews.org lifestyles and click on the link to share your story idea. Thanks to all who helped to make this show possible, including Sharina Watt, David Fleming, Sean Houlihan, Natasha Coles, and executive producer Rick Dulak. Our theme music is provided by Ethan Bortnick. Join me next week at the same time for Lifestyles with me, Lillian Vasquez. Bye for now.